Hi, I'm Molly. And I'm Jamie, and this is our From the Pasture with Hired Hand podcast. As the owners of Hired Hand website software, we've been developing websites and creating internet marketing strategies for livestock breeders for the past 10 years. The majority of our customers are involved in the breeding of registered animals, such as Texas longhorns, Highland cattle, horses, and white-tailed deer, where the pedigrees are very important. The From the Pasture with Hired Hand podcast examines many of the differences in raising pedigreed livestock for maximum profit. Join us and learn what we're covering today. Today I'm joined with Cole Meeks from Rolling Hills Ranch in Statesboro, Georgia. Hi, Cole. Hey, Molly. How are you? I'm good. How are you doing today? Oh, we're doing good. If we complain, nobody will listen, right? (laughs) Right. (laughs) Uh, Well, go ahead and start by just telling me a little bit about yourself and about your breeding program. Um, Yes. So uh, my name's Cole Meeks. Uh, I am 24 years old. I've been breeding longhorns since 2018. Uh, My father and I got into longhorns basically as just a hobby. Um, I grew up raising black cows and was all around the registered black Angus market growing up. And um, we just kind of decided that we were tired of looking at a bunch of black spots in the field. So we wanted to get something different. And my dad had the great idea of getting just a one longhorn cow out there. And uh, when we did, we just fell in love with her and ended up selling the other black cows and getting other longhorns to go with her. And um, even though she wasn't registered, we we still got her a bunch of registered friends and um, we just kind of start our beginning from there. Uh, we really enjoy the longhorns, just to how unique each animal is and um, just so much potential behind this breed compared to like your average beef breed and your average show breed where they just are one and done kind of deal where they're focused on one thing and that's a carcass are they focused on another thing and that's just show circuit and once they're done they're done and that's it and with the longhorns you've gotten the beauty of age where the older that animal gets the more beauty you know defines that animal and uh, mm-hmm. i really find that a great a great you know interest with these animals um as well as just so much diversity within the breed you could breed twisty horned cows you could breed flat horned cows you could breed you know, big horn cows, and it's just the diversity within the breed and how much everybody uh, supports each other is, I guess, one of the main reasons why we stayed with the Longhorns. Um, our first show was in 2019. We went up to the Bluegrass, and uh, we actually met Mike Willinger, Bill, and Elizabeth Hudson um, with Hudson Longhorns, and um, very humbling people, uh, very honest people, and they took us, uh, I guess they took us, we go out to dinner, I can't remember. Um, either way, we, they took us and we, they started showing us some cows and um, we really, really loved their cows. And uh, then that evening we ended up meeting Mr. Terry, who's in our area, uh, Mr. Terry King, Jimmy Jones. We ended up meeting them for breakfast the following morning. Um this day of the sale, I guess, is what it was. It was a Saturday. The futurity was on a Friday. Um, and we had that Saturday morning before the sale, we went with, met Mr. Terry and Mr. Jimmy for breakfast. And that's when we really started to learn. And then I told him that I had met Mr. Mike and Bill and Elizabeth. 
and they said that'd be the first the first people they would buy cows from if they were beginning a herd and so that's what we did is we went out there to Hudson Longhorns and purchased I think we purchased five in the beginning um from them and we still have one of the original five and she's probably our our best producer uh her name is hl rangers wildfire she goes back to a a bull named grand connections and a cow named wd lady ranger um who was a real twisty handlebar cow i think she was about 80 mid 80s um and uh, she produced really well for the hudsons and uh, the hudsons had had i think four or five daughters of of hers at the time so that's how we kind of ended up with her and she's produced to me now four daughters she and um man it's it's been great watching them calves grow and see the uh i guess game plan of your breeding program come together after four years so will she have a forever a forever home on your ranch is she gonna live out her yes. days though uh yes uh, ra- uh yes rangers wildfire will probably live her days out here um i've already planned a shoulder mount for her and um we we just we really adore that cow she's just got great demeanors a good a good body structure good udder placement um good handlebar horns and she's outproduced herself she's got a daughter knocking on 90 inches right now a 50 50 daughter knocking on 90 and then now a trued up daughter who's knocking on the mid 80s as a three and a half year old she'll be four come april um and so she's just and man the, the just beautiful just well put together calves this cow produces. That's awesome. So some of the names you mentioned there, the Hudson's, the Kings, Jimmy Jones, those are some pretty big names in the industry. And you were fortunate enough to meet them at your first event. It sounds like, can you tell me some of the advice they imparted on you as a new breeder? Uh, Yes. So um, man, I was blessed with meeting them in the beginning. And uh, one of the main things I'll tell you that I guess Mr. Mike has told me a lot of is if that mama cow doesn't raise a calf she's got no worth being in that pasture and so i've kind of just stuck in my head that no matter what she looks like if she cannot raise a calf she's got to go but if she can raise a calf i can work with it because i can always do some tweaking down the road i can complement it here with some horn or complement it there with some color um one of the main things i would say would have to be utter and milking abilities was one of the first advices that I was given in this longhorn breed because I was told that there's a lot of cows out there that just don't have the a good enough udder to raise a potential calf and that it's one of the corrections in the breed that needed to be fixed as well as your straight top line of the back um, and then uh, just a little bit extra skin under the navel but all that's one of the main, I guess, advice that I was given was uh, milking ability. And then the next was fertility, was making sure that calf was getting bred within 90 days of having a calf. And if she wasn't, seeing what the options were of why she did not, and then see how you can get her back bred to do it again. And then if not, because that's your whole program, you buy these animals to then, sur- I guess, not survive, but you buy these cows to provide for your breeding program on paying for funds for feed fencing hay any kind of upkeep 
uh, infrastructure costs that you have, you need these animals to pay for themselves. And if you're not having a calf every year, or if you're not getting a, a, a wean, a good quality weaned calf at weaning time to be able to sell, then, then you're just watching money go out the door. And, um, kind of hard advice being a new breeder. I didn't really know what he was talking about. And then it took me a good year or two to really understand that concept. And when I did, it was like a light bulb was on and I started seeing even the difference in the animals that I was buying based off of that, um, of how their mother raised them and how they've raised the calf themselves. Um, so how did you just out of curiosity, not to interrupt you, I'm sorry. How, when you, when that clicked for you, how did your, how did you go about researching that information before you made additional purchases? Um, so researching that information, I really began just not being scared. I was a little intimidated. You know, when you jump into the Longhorns, you can get intimidated by how much money and how much, I guess, big ballers there are in the breed. And um, I kind of just bit the nail and just said, hey, I'm going to call these people and ask them how that cow ended up raising its baby or, you know, what? why are they selling that cow? And some of the reasons would be, Hey, actually, the milking billy is not there. She's got a great udder and great, you know, everything about her, but the milking ability is not there. And it just took me actually making phone calls and talking to some breeders. And I went and visited a few a few ranches uh, in that years of time. I visited Mr. Terry's and I visited Mr. Jimmy's. I went up there and visited actually uh, seen Dickinson's um, place and um, went and just looked at some cows and really noticed uh, I guess a, not really a sequence, but I noticed something that they all had in same. And that was just, they were not keeping a cow that was not raising a calf. And then after going to that third ranch and seeing, man, they didn't have a cow on their place that just had raised a, cap, a crappy calf. And I'm sitting here hanging on to this cow thinking she's going to give me a good one. But it, but it took that year of looking at hundreds of cows and seeing how they were raising the calves looking at their weaned calves before from the year before and then um talking to them about how to keep the milking traits going and a lot of the milking traits i've been told it's a lot of it's got an opinion but a lot of the milking trait comes from the sire's maternal line is what i've been told so if you focus on that sire's maternal line and if she's a pretty good milker milker above marginal then you should have a good possibility if you complement it to a good milker you should come out with a good milker now it's all a gamble that's another love for this breed that i have is you could breed two solid red cows together and come out with a white and that's just (laughs) that's just god painting a pretty picture on and letting him know that hey he's got this control and you don't no matter how hard you've studied or how hard you've tried at it he's going to still let you know that he's in control and he's going to do what he's got. Cause we're, we're real big in, uh, we're real big on, I guess, our, our faith, you know, and on, uh, these animals. And we know we couldn't raise them without, you know, God and, and teaching us and showing us, you know, the things that he showed us over these few years. So how many years ago was that, that you really put the time into visiting all those ranches and, and starting your research on milkability? So I would say we started in 2018 and then I really started getting hard in it in 2020. So it took that whole year, 2000 and 
basically because we bought them i think they were let's see it was 18 we got our first longhorn cow she wasn't under she wasn't registered we went up to the sale bluegrass sale i believe it was april of 2019 so it was that whole rest of the year and then come 2020 we purchased some animals from brazos rose ranch we purchased a bull from over there uh, rosebud texas um and golly he had a phenomenal program that Brazos Rose Ranch had everything we desired in a cow we were looking for. And so we went down there and we've now got our five from Hudson and we were looking for a bull. Um, Cause we, we just weren't quite set up for AI. Uh, we're really busy with uh, our daily work and stuff like that. We kind of have to stay with the natural service um, option with us for right now until we just get a little bit more time on our hands. Um, so right now we really study hard on our bulls and the, the, the 2020 we purchased a bull named Brazos Tough Grande, who I think would be one of the best bulls I probably have ever owned. Um, I wish I'd have never got rid of him, but infrastructure reasons come up and we had to move him along the way. And, um, but that bull, he, his calves were probably my best set of calves. And when I seen his calves come there, I had two bulls at the time. And just the difference in the calves from them being three months old, because they were about the same age, because I had split my pasture up, because I had some that were still open and some that were being bred by the other bull. Just seeing those calves grow up together, I knew like, hey, okay, I've got to change the way that I'm going about this. And when I did, I bought that Brazos Tough Grande bull. I started seeing just better calves, thicker calves. Um, started to see just a little bit of correction and now my first time mothers there I had a calf which I'm getting a little off subject out of this bull and she had one of the biggest udders that I've ever seen a first calf ever have and to me that's good in a way now we've got to see how she raises her calf because we've got the udder structure down her big hip her top line the horns the color it's all there now it's time to see how she raises this first calf so time will tell um, but that in 2020, I would say, uh, that bull seeing his calves come that year was just a big difference. That was when I started noticing the difference. And then we took out to, went out, finally went out to Texas and to Rosebud, picked up that bull and, uh, been going from there. And now we've been breeding the same, I guess mentality is quality over quantity. So we've until here recently, we've actually only been on about a uh, 30 acre ranch. And then the past in 2021, we bought a, another 74 acres. So that bumped us up to roughly about a hundred. And then um, now we've been blessed again this year with another 74. So now we're pushing at about 175 acres and we're only running 30 mama cows um, is the goal to have about 30 mama cows with room to have babies to grow um, is our, is, is kind of our goal is to keep maintain a herd of 30 breedable mamas. So we have room for about 30, you know, growing up, to breeding age because the the what i've come to find in my area in my region is uh the better market animal is that bred heifer that first time heifer with that calf at her side and bred back because she's fancy she's young she's got that calf on her side she's hopefully raising it up good and we and i've just seen a market in my 
area of people wanting to buy those young three-in-one deals. So in, in my goal building, I'm going to try and maintain a number of numbers in my herd to be able to allow me to keep basically heifers up to three years and be able to get them bred with a calf at their side and be able to then know what I want to do next. Do I want to sell their dam? Do I want to sell them? Do I want to just hold on to them and sell that calf? How do I now pay for my, I guess, budget that Mm -hmm. I've now begun? And so um, I really just still learning a lot. I really am still learning a lot about this breed. And But the more that I've been in it now going on about four or five years, I'm now at a better point than I was when I began, but I feel like you're always, there's always something to learn and to know. And I feel like the best advice, you know, you could say in the beginning is to just go and talk to these breeders. These breeders are more open to talk to you than, and then it comes off the scene at these events. They really do love to talk about these animals. And man, I know I've talked on the phone for hours about animals and just talking to some of these people and getting to know these people in the breed and just building relationships in the breed. And it's just been an amazing, an amazing thing. Um, and fun, super fun. So you talked a little bit about the past five years. Let's look at the future for a little bit. Um, where do you see your program in the next five years? So in the next five years, I I plan to see my program hopefully grow I hope to go from basically, I don't, uh, I guess, let's see, next five years, I would say I I would really love to see a big difference in um, just my overall, my programs. um, Let's see how I can say this. My programs, uh, uniform and what uniformality, I guess, would be the word. So right now, I will want to try and find consistency in my program that I'm seeing after the five years of working. I want to now hang on to that consistency and now basically double it so I have marketable animals to show what my program's been doing, what my program is doing, and what I have to offer in this breed. Because in my opinion, a marketable animal a profitable animal is one that's going to benefit another person's program. So if you can build a cow or I guess cattle in the terms of a herd that are like a puzzle piece and you know, you're getting these results, somebody else's herd may have the results that you need, but y'all just need a flops puzzle pieces. So, and that's another good, great, unique, trait about these longhorns is there's consistency within the inconsistency of these animals and jimmy jones does a great uh, job at proving the consistency in these animals you look at his herd and he's literally got a herd of what looks like to be the same animal and they just have different colors and maybe maybe a little bit different twist. Other than that, you, you look out there and all those animals almost have the same exact horn set, the same body, the same udder, and then the only difference is the color. And to me, that's a profitable animal because somebody can then take that animal and put it in their herd with a bull that 
they're getting these results out of, and they may be able to take that cow to the next level. Because even though we've bred these cows to do what we want them to do, there is always room to take them to the next level. I mean, that's what's so fun about these animals is we started out with animals that we thought, man, we thought 70 inches was great. But just from in the five years that I've been it, it's gone from 70 to 80 to 90 to now 100. I mean, it is just crazy how fast and uh, move forward they've gone with the industry. Um, so with I would say with my next five years, I plan to just now I've found the consistency and now I'm trying to keep it and use it as a marketable strategy to help other people and then hopefully breed an animal that somebody else can use or want to see in their herd. I really like your analogy about the puzzle pieces. That's like you're spot on with that. I love it. (laughs) Well, I appreciate that. I I really, uh, you know, it is, it's all one big puzzle. This cow, uh, you know, like Ranger wildfire, like I'm telling you, she, she is a cow that works great with bulls who are actually leaner. She doesn't, I've bred her to a big heavy set bull and she did not work as good as she did with a leaner bull. Believe it or not, that calf was the calf body that I was looking at structure wise was bigger out of a smaller frame bull than it was a bigger frame bull. So that's something that I found that that animal has done with all the nine heifers that she's given me. The best looking ones are out of bulls with this trait that I've come to find. So now when I'm coming to my next bull and I'm wanting to keep her in my program, now obviously you cannot match bulls to cow if you have 30x amount of cows and you're only running one bull. Now in my case, I've got five bulls, so we we can mix and match and you know sort out which ones we go with where but with that knowing that about her and knowing that i can get a animal that's made some profit into my budget i would say my next bull is going to be one that i know will match up with her great because she's my great cow and then hoping that all the other cows around her that i'm building my program based off of what she's got will then do the same because the consistency that I found with my babies are they're not working good with these just slammed up big old juicy cows. They work better with these ones that I, okay, I had, which it just all comes with a time thing on what you figure out, but that's my program and how I plan to keep it moving forward. And now I want to beef up my bull side so now that I've got this trait figured out, I know, okay, if I want big, beefy animals, I've got to now either A, just move her to the side and keep the next generation going. But since she's my matriarch and I don't want to get rid of her, I then bought another bull for that sake. So I now she's got her own little boyfriend that I believe will work really good with her and a few others. And then I purchased another bull that I've thought I needed some of these other ones to be beefed up. I needed, I wanted to see good. I wanted a bull to look like a bull in my pasture. And so then we upgraded and, and, and have got our herd now split. And that's where we were blessed with the more land and we can now do that. And, um, it's just, it's been good. It's been great. So I picked up on something here. I feel like some folks are scared to be bull heavy, but, 
you know, five bulls on what'd you say, 30, 30, 30 yeah, 30. That's, That's only you know, six folks, per <laughs> bull. Yeah. So um, can you tell me more about I mean, when you talk about these calves and what you're seeing with the different breeding strategies, is it just all visual? Do you have stats that you track that then attribute to the next bull that you buy? Just talk me through that a little bit more. So on, in my opinion on bulls, I love bulls. Um, They, to me, are prettier than some of these cows. I just love the masculine traits, the big neck, the big muscles. Um, When I... I guess on my bulls, I look at them as a tool. So there no bull in my herd do I ever plan to just let them die out unless he's just maybe one of those bulls like a cowboy tough checks or a Jamaicanism or just a proven bull that I've produced um, to be able to take my program forward as well as other people's program forward. A bull to me will always be a tool. And a tool is just like having a toolbox is that you can't go wrong with having too many tools. Now, sometimes you can use the wrong tool for the wrong job and still get the same outcome, but it's not would have been as easy or as smooth as it would have been to use the right tool. If you would have just taken a step back and looking at just a couple more traits or uh, I guess you could say in some stance are genetics. Um, so when we pick our bulls, we really base it off of phenotype. I've started breeding my animals off of phenotype. So basically where I like to take my bulls and I want to make sure that any any female maternal trait in that bull's pedigree, I want to make sure at least three or four of them animals in that pedigree look alike. That's what I'm considering a phenotype. So rather you've got kind of just a a nice square body, good udder placement, nice handlebar horns. I want to see a handlebar style horn on a block body, good udder placement three or four times in that pedigree before I even look at that bull. Because in my opinion, if there is cows that you can visibly see in that pedigree that look alike, your better chances of getting an animal that look like that are better than ones that look the opposite because the traits are just not there. The, the the style of cow that's being bred there is just not there. And that's why some of these people who breed these good bulls and good cows together, they'll notice that they'll sometimes won't find the consistency in that cow's production because they're not simply breeding her based off of, a, I guess, a single thing that she's good with. You can have a good quality cow and breed her to all of the wrong bulls and she'll never proven her progeny because she's just never been bred to the right bull. And that to me takes looking deeper and noticing and seeing what does that cow and what genetics are the weakest in that. In my opinion, I call it phenotype. That's when I'm going to my bull and I'm finding my bull who's got the phenotype of the cows and the maternal traits that I'm looking for, as well as I'm wanting to make sure he is corrected in his hip placement, on his back, in his color, on the horn style that I'm going for, as well as face structure. So therefore, I want to find a bull that is almost perfect to what I'm looking for, as well as I want his 
pedigree to match the same phenotype that goes with my herd. So I know that the outcome of my babies have a good possibility of having 80 inch handlebar block style, good structured udder milking abilities, you know, just moving forward with it since it's almost like matching pieces. Like I'd said earlier about a puzzle. In my opinion, if you look at a puzzle and all those pieces look the same, that to me would say that piece fits better than a piece that is one off with some that doesn't look the same. It's mm-hmm. not, it's just like trying to fit a corner piece in the center of the puzzle. It doesn't work like that. You got to make sure that corner is in the corner and then your center is filled with something that'll work for it all because that's what's connecting the main picture together. That's great advice for sure. I feel like, I feel like, especially for new breeders, they maybe haven't thought um, about looking at the, the female line of their bulls. Yeah. And that's your biggest in the female. And in, if, a, if you look at it, your, your bull is 50% of your next program of your next year's calf crop. So if you have a bull that, okay, you bought him cause so-and-so told you to buy him or you bought him because you just love the way he looked and didn't d- dig deeper. You're more than likely going to get 50% of the calves that you like to see in the next calf. So why do you want half of the ability of this bull can do when you could pay a little bit more attention and dig a little bit deeper when breeding your animals for the next generation in knowing that, hey, this bull may not have everything that my cows need, but he's got a majority of it all, as well as his pedigree saying he can produce what I need. So when that's where your parents then become a hundred percent and you can move forward with that breeding animal, mm-hmm. hoping that they piece together, they work and you can, you see the line of the animal together, like the WD lady line. She's a very designated line in the cow herd that you can kind of see, man, the very first picture on hired hand and the last great, I think WD Lady now has a great, great grand calf down. But if you look, if you were to take all those pictures of that WD Lady's offspring, grand offspring, and even great offspring, they are all, and you put them together, they're all got the same traits. Everything about that line is the same. And the same with the rosemary genetics, the LLO rosemary out there. With that Rowdy and I believe Rebel. I think Rebel is out of a daughter of Rosemary, I think, um, if I'm not mistaken. But that's the same with the the with the maternal trait. That's going to move your program forward faster rather than chasing a bunch of these bulls because these bulls are hit and miss. That's why they're breeding them to 40 animals versus a cow gives you one calf a year mm-hmm. versus that bull will give you 40. Because it's a matter of how many times you can breed them. So you want to make your possibility of the next calf as high of a percentage of being perfect as you can make it. So digging deep into that sire's pedigree and knowing what that sire has produced and what has worked in the past is what you want to then choose for your either bull or your cow and moving forward. So, like, I guess with that, you could then say, um, that you would like to see a bull who 
not only is nice and thick. So I picked up on something else you said previously as well, and I want to visit back to it. So you mentioned that you've intentionally added acres to your pasture over the past few years, I believe, or, you know, kind of every year you've added a little bit more. Let's talk about how comfortable you are with how many head per acre and how that kind of how those decisions play into also your breeding strategies and your growth strategies for the next few years. Yes. Oh yeah. So, um, so here in Georgia, we like to run very standard, um, any cow calf pair per acre, uh, here we're actually a little blessed and I've done some research on grasses and, uh, we actually have planted a grass called Tiff quick and it, they call it a month early and a month late grass. And that's because, it grows a month earlier as well as grows a month late. And it can stay a stand a lot longer in our weather temperatures here in Georgia than any other grass. They, the University of Georgia has studied this grass for the southeast to be able to basically sustain these cow farmers here and beat out the expensive Bermuda, I guess, because that's our highest quality grass is the coastal Bermuda. And so these People up at the University of Georgia studied this Bahia hybrid, and now we're getting a yield to where I can see I've put 12 pairs on 12 acres, and it was doing everything they could to keep up with it. But I still only want to run an acre, if not two, per pair. And then with that, that allows me to then keep one calf off of that pair for one more year and allow her to raise a calf to wean. But with our acreage and the blessings that we've been given, I'm looking at now allowing it to just be, keep it just the same and have strictly one acre per pair and let, let my young calves grow as much as they can. Cause the younger generation is where your money's going to begin. These Proven cows that you're buying, it's sad to say, but they're decreasing as soon as they hit about 12. I mean, they're just going downhill from there. And that's why you've got to maintain those good quality mama cows in your herd aside of these nice young ones because you need the production in the herd while you're testing the waters with these other youngins. Because you are you know what you're going to get out of the older ones. And these young ones, you still are trying to find out. They may or may not produce the same as their mom. So you always want to give them another year or if you, or so if you can to find that out. And here being in Georgia, our market's just so new and fresh green. You know, our market's just, just not, I guess, there yet. We do not have one created. And with us having the more land um, that we've got, it allows me to keep basically most of my calves that I want to keep and get rid of the ones that I want to get rid of. Now my next, I guess, plan in my herd is for the next three years, I'm culling every bull that I have. And with that, I plan to utilize my focus on just strictly female genetics. What am I seeing in my female calves that I like, dislike, want to see, or I'd like to have more of. And so I'm limiting myself and I'm 
Some may say I'm crazy, but I'm doing that to then allow me to have more space. Because if you, most people, you tend to say, what's your calf crop? 50, 50, 50 bulls, 50 heifers, you know, half percentage um, is what you'd like to say. Now this year I was blessed and I had like, I think we had 14 heifers in one bull. So we got really, really lucky this year and had just a slew of heifers to keep. So I, I want to make sure that I have this space for her so or for them. So I got rid of every single bull that I had that I thought that I wanted to grow up and use. And instead, I'm now utilizing my time with them to now focus more on these heifers because that's in reality where the money is begun with these cows is finding a good producer and producing a good producer that'll go off to somebody else's program and then produce well for them as well. And that's what I, the kind of cow that I'd like to breed is one that I can send to somebody else's program and they take her and benefit from her as much as they benefit from me. So tell me a little bit about how you came up with your ranch name. Um, so actually I, I grew up on the dirt road that I started my herd on and it was called Rolling Hills Road. And, um, it's actually out here in Georgia where I live, it's pretty flat. There's really not a whole lot of hills. And this one road that we grew up on, it was kind of cool because it's about the only hills in town that you see and, um, was on this road. And so I told dad, I was like, that's just, it's just meant to be. It's meant to be that our name is rolling hills ranch because hey we're on the only rolling hills there are in the bullet county so uh it's just it might as well just name it rolling hills ranch longhorn so when everybody comes out here they see oh where where were those longhorns at oh they were there on rolling hills road what's the ranch i don't know and then they put two and two <laughs> together make it easier oh rolling hills ranch longhorns oh that's the name of the thing they're also on rolling hills road <laughs> I like it. Make it as easy as possible for folks. Easy and simple. Keep it simple. That's what I'd try to do with it all is keep it simple because, man, it, it's a lot easier to figure something out that's simple than it is complicated, I guess, ain't it? <laughs> for sure. Is your dad still involved? Um, my dad is still involved. So uh, I guess you could say my dad is more of my bank account. <laughs> he he loves these animals and he man he 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 helps me feed hay almost all day every day if i need him to and um he he is you know helps me put up these fences and all but he has no desire to learn how these animals are bred he just simply likes looking at them so with that we've worked out a great relationship you know aside of us being father and son you know we've kind of learned our roles like hey okay well he's not really allowed to buy an animal without me proving it as well as I'm not allowed to spend nothing unless he approves it so forth like that. And it's just because there's been times where, you know, I've may have went a little crazy with the budget and I shouldn't have. And he was there to correct it as well as there were times where he liked animals and they were not animals that we, you know, needed or animals that we could benefit off of. And it just took, I mean, it took us five years to figure that out. I, that's one thing that I'll kind of, I guess, maybe stand on a soapbox and say is time is a biggie with Longhorns. And unless you're willing to sit out at least five years to figure out what your plan is with these animals, I would say, you know, maybe just rethink your decision on breeding these animals. But if you're willing to give it time and know that, hey, I may not see 
a thousand dollar profit with this animal for at least three to five years, you've going to have to be okay with that because that's where time is money in this breed because it may take that three year old 75 inch big old bodied cow to roll over just one more year for her to be worth from $10,000 to 20 just because she made that rollover. She's raised that calf and now you've bred her back and it's just bumped her up to that much. And it, all it took was another year. So that's what I like to tell myself when I'm selling an animal is what will she look like in another year? Do I really want to sell her or do I want to utilize her for one more year? Because with a female cow, you can breed her and sell the calf and still keep her and make profit onto your budget that you've got set out by breeding her versus with young bulls. You can't breed them young bulls until you think they're ready. And that's two years old. So you're now wasting two years on this time when you could have already had the two years set in a female prodigy of a line of genetics or a certain cow or any kind of traits you're looking for in your program aside of wasting it on a bull spend that time on a heifer because she'll give you a calf to sell next year versus that bull will not you're just feeding that bull in that pen and he's eating all your grass and with that being said i would say your main focus should be on any heifer that you have i would sell a bull before i sell any heifer just because i want to spend my time making sure this heifer is going to do what she needs to do in order to represent my program as well as move my program forward or as well as somebody else's. And you don't want, you want to sell an animal that will represent you to the best of its ability because then people will look back and know, Hey, well, you know, I got this animal from so-and-so she really did this, this, and this for me. You know, you ought to go and see if you can find one. Or maybe it created a relationship with that person who bought an animal and now y'all are together and y'all bought an, a partnership bull together or a partnership cow because y'all like the same kind of cows or y'all have the intentions of breeding the same kind of cows that you've bred and now he's purchased from you. So uh, I believe helping, enough, you know, giving your advice and and helping anybody the best that you can is it will take care of itself in the long run you know no good deed goes unpunished of course but every good deed i would say has to have a little bit of good karma and right. so in my in my in my opinion i think helping all these young breeders and knowing what they want to do next with their program um there was a, actually a guy in georgia here he was wanting to get started and man he contacted me and I basically didn't shoot him nothing but straight shots and uh, didn't end up hearing from the guy. And then actually six months later, the man ended up calling me back and was like, hey, man, I should have took your advice. I bought some cows that I shouldn't have bought. What can I do with them now? I got that guy. We got him. We got him squared away. We got him taken care of. And now he's 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 doing great as a breeder. He's now, I would say, a year, if not two years ahead of where I started. And to me, that's something that he should almost benefit from, in my opinion, because he's now two years ahead of where I started and he's, you know, learning and wanting to now 
be involved even way more than I was at the time. So I can only see him then, you know, I guess move just moving forward, you know, and actually bumping up and seeing the cows and breeding the cows that he sees and likes um, in his program, just because he's that much more further ahead in the beginning. Mm-hmm. Love what you're hearing. Be sure to check out our pickup truck confessions. It's a video series where we hop in the truck or a rental car and interview a variety of breeders about what drives their passion for their livestock, how they got started in the breed of their choice, marketing tips, and more. And now back to the podcast. All right. I have some rapid fire questions for you here. Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. All right. (laughs) Who is your all-time favorite Longhorn cow? My all-time favorite Longhorn cow, I would probably have to say, is Jamaicanism's Alpha. Um, she is a cow, in my opinion, who hit checks all the boxes. Um, she's a uh, deep bodied, great udder, um, produced some well off babies in the business or in the breed that has, you know, gone out and done other great things in the breed, um, as well as her horn structure and shape, uh, the tip to tip measurement and man, her color. She's just a beautiful, beautiful brindle linebacker uh big old bodied cow. I mean she is just a, a broody cow that I, I like and I adore. Um and she's uh actually one of the main genetics in my herd actually that I've kind of tried to keep in there as a tool. Um because as well as the bulls, females are tools too. You just gotta that you can keep onto that tool a little bit longer and that tool will actually work for a couple other things versus this and that, you know, a female cow is like channel locks versus a bulls like a pipe wrench, you know, <laughs> just got to make sure you're using them right. <laughs> and I think if, if I remember correctly, Alfie spent some time at Brazos Rose as well, right? Yeah, she, yeah, yeah, no, she, I think they still do own her. They still okay. own Al, Alfie. Yep. Um, I've got, uh, let's see, I've, oof. I've got so much of her genetics, so I, she's. I've only have offspring as well as grand offspring of hers. She's just one of my main, I guess, genetic lines in my herd that I like to see, and she's the kind of cow, kind of style that I like, um, and that's the kind of cow that I want to breed and try for. Um, so I'm hoping matching her up with some other animals in the breed that look like her. You know, you only can think that that puzzle piece would be good. You know, so. Did you get to see her in person when you? I did. I, I oh yeah. I love man. We I went out there. I've been out to Brazos's place. Brazos or I guess it's Ronnie and Jay Mullinex are the mm-hmm. owners of Brazos Rose Ranch. And uh, I've been out there three times. I went out there one time and picked up six animals, and then turned around the next month and picked up a bull, and then went out there again and bought two more. Um, just because they, uh, they, I was, I, we grew, we were, we grew our pasture space. And, um, instead of waiting on a few more of our animals to kind of prove themselves, we had room to be able to purchase, you know, that many more. So we, uh, just did some studying, did some digging and, um, you know, we, we did, uh, we did the best that we could and purchased, you know, a, a good handful more to add to our herd to just keep us moving forward. Nice. What about your all-time favorite longhorn bull? So my favorite bull, I would probably have to say, would probably be Pacific Cowboy 40. Him, 
or that CV Casanova Magnum or Bawanacheks. I've never seen those three bulls in person, but just the production of those bulls and what they've done in their progeny, I've seen a lot of, uh, I guess, strengths in just strictly their progenies that I could utilize in my herd. So I, I would look at either three of those as my favorite. I don't quite have a favorite bull because I look at a bull as a tool. So I don't want to look at a favorite and make that be my weakness just because it's my favorite. I want to be able to be open-minded about any trait genetic out there and be able to utilize it to the full potential. That makes sense. So we've talked, I know throughout this podcast, we've talked about the Hudson's, Jimmy Jones, the Kings, the Mullinaxes, uh, Dickinson. Who would you pick if you had to choose just one longhorn breeder that you kind of aspire to have a herd like? I would probably have to say Brazos Rose Ranch um, has got a herd of cows that I, I just really adore. I like and um, his program is just a program that I would want to base mine off of. Uh, I really love the Hudson's as well. Um, I just, I util, I just have utilized mixing the two of Hudson's and Brazos together, and have found my results being positive. But I've become more, I guess, favorable to the Mullinex genetics, being that I'm seeing more consistency to the side of them as well as I'm bringing in animals at a good price you know that that meets my budget and and that's what it's about is setting a budget making sure you don't go over it and making sure you meet it are just the best things to keep a program rolling because if you go under the boat the first year you're never going to get on top and then you're never going to want to have the mentality to even keep going because you're now so far under that you've lost hope or you've lost motivation or you've even just lost the sight of seeing the cows that you like to see because you've just been disrupted by the money you've spent or the time and just not seeing the results you want to see. But I'd have to say the Mullinexes are probably one of my favorite herds out there because they just have so much to look at and they all look, they just are all beautiful. A lot of brindle out there, a lot of good horn sets good odor abilities out there in this herd. I mean, if I recommended anybody to go buy their first herd or even just the first couple pairs, I'd probably recommend the Mullinexes out there in Rosebud, Texas. They just, they breed good quality cows and they're just good hospitality there with it. And um, I love somebody that'll teach you about their program as well as tell you an animal that says, Hey, this will be one that'll go for you versus that one. Just because you're interested in an animal to buy doesn't always mean you should buy it. And sometimes it takes talking to the breeder of the animal and understanding why that that animal wouldn't have worked. And he may have another one or he may have know of another one that would then benefit or work for your program. All right. Well, let's switch gears a little bit now. And we're going to talk about marketing and websites and social media. Sound good? Yep. That sounds great. All right. So what do you think the average amount of time you spend looking at Longhorn websites in a week is? Ooh, 72 hours. Uh, <laughs> like, um, I look at, man, I'm always looking at Longhorn websites, always looking at cows. I mean, I'd have to say I do average probably, <laughs> I hate to say it, but probably three to maybe three to five hours a day just looking at cows. And it may even be the same cow um, because 
of the way I do things, I like to study the pedigrees and study the genetics. So I'll study every animal in a pedigree of an, of an animal that I'm looking to purchase. I'll study all the animals inside of it and see what worked the best, what moved that animal down the line on someone wanting to buy a daughter or a son even out of that cow. So I would go and I piece all of them together and I see what worked the best, what didn't work, what sold for the most money, why did it sell for the most money, and so forth like that. And sometimes you even run across some hidden gems. You'll find those good quality cows that somebody's got, that somebody's got and they may not either know the true value of that animal or either they just are in a position to where they can allow that animal to leave at a, to me, what would be a true value priced animal versus a spending thousands and thousands of dollars on trying to get it. Um, but I spend probably three to five hours a day. So I guess you could do that times seven. So maybe 30 to 35 hours a week that I'm looking at hired hand websites, you know, just trying to study it. And my favorite tool with the hired hand website though, is that search y'all created that hired hand search and I've got that thing figured out. I can go in there and look up an animal and then it tell me what I needed to know. Um, it, it has just changed the whole game of me searching the animals on the internet. More I probably spend more time on that than I do basic animals because I'll find an animal that I like and then I'll go to the hired hand search and then search hired hand um, and then find it from there. Well, that's what we like to hear for sure. What would you say that the last three Longhorns or Longhorn websites in your search history are? Um, so let's see. The last three in my search history are... Um, I can look at it right. The Mullinexus Brazos Rose Ranch is one. Um, the second one is uh, Moose Willow Longhorns out of Montana, um, as well as Hudson Longhorns uh, were my last three that I was looking at. And those were today. They were I was looking at animals and trying to piece them, and uh, they uh. And it was today was the last three that I have visited. So you went from Texas to Montana to Indiana. All, yep. in, one <laughs> All in one day. I wish you could do that in like just real life instead of right? on the phone. They'd just go, go see them. Hey, right? I'm going to go visit your ranch. Go, 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 go up to Montana real quick. Visit that ranch. <laughs> I'm going to go over to Indiana and visit this ranch. All in a day. I'm sure someday soon here we'll be able to. <laughs> yeah, with the technology they got, I'd right? say they probably will. Do you have a favorite hired hand website besides your own? Um, I would, uh, let's see my favorite hired hand website. Um, I really like the, uh, I think it's the, Oh, I want to say it's either the new age or the, I really don't know how to say their last name. The Pushagordas, the Pushag. Oh, uh, yeah, three P. Yeah, yeah, three P. Here to say three P. <laughs> yeah, three P. Yep, three P. Sorry, three P. Um, the Barbara and the, I'd have to say that one. I, the layout and just the colors and man, they the, and the the quality of the cows that they got, you know, the this looks really good, very eye appealing. Um, the way their websites are laid out, I'd have to say one of those two. So how long has your website been live compared to your kind of five-year journey we talked about? 
Um, so I think we got our, I think, um, I think I started a website. I think I wanted to say I started it in 2020 because I was still applicable enough to get the youth website. And you had to be, you had to be, how old, what was it you had to be, I guess? So I, think, I, was, I think you had to be in, in college or younger, if I remember. Yeah, correctly. okay. Well, yeah, I think that's what it was, because I was still in college, I wanted to say, and that's what it was. I was, I think I was, tw- I want to say I was 21, you know, and I was like, still, I was like, because I wanted to get a website, but of course, you know, being where I'm at and all this and that, it sometimes you look at it and you could definitely say to yourself, well, a website doesn't work for me because I'm not selling the animals. But then again, you look at it like this, a website does work for you because it shows your animals. And then that to me is, is where I then said, Hey, okay, I need a website because now people don't know that I'm over here and they want to see what kind of animals I'm at got, but they may not want to text me or, you know, look through my Facebook and it's just easier to get, a website, especially like Hired Hands, because y'all just link them together. Man, it just makes a humongous difference. Y'all link them together. It's great. And uh, you can literally, like I say, you can go from Texas to Montana and Indiana by just clicking on a cow. (laughs) It's just, it's just awesome. But so I'd say it's been three years. Okay. So let's talk about social media for a little bit. Uh, Do you have a go-to social media for finding Longhorns? Um, for finding long ones, uh, usually I guess I just scroll through Facebook, you could say, um, with my Facebook, I'm, I do pretty good with marketing my animals as well as seeing a lot of other animals would have to say Facebook. What about your go-to social media for marketing your own animals? I would say Facebook too. I have come, I have found that using Facebook is a really great, um, Man, paying that 10 bucks to have them sponsor and utilize and show promotion that ad is to me worth it because I've sold a dozen animals at one time. This one person was looking for cows and he said he had never would have found me unless the promotion would have come up on the Facebook. And so to me, I look at it as, man, that $10 was worth it. I paid Facebook $10 to sponsor this ad all across Facebook and a guy come from uh, I think he was actually in Indiana. He come from Indiana and bought 12 cows from me. And wow. um, that was just, that was amazed to me. It was worth the 10 bucks. So when to me, utilizing Facebook into your advantage with the hired hand website, Oh, it's a game changer. I mean, we should be able to help and grow the marketing ability of these animals because we can now put them in front of so much people who love because the agrotheum you know, that's changed the game as well, where they've now are watching what you look at. And so you look at a bunch of longhorn cows, well, it's going to keep showing you a bunch of longhorn cows. Right, for sure. What about uh, how you market regionally there in Georgia? Um, are there things that you feel like you have to do differently than maybe the, you know, the bulk of the breeders in Texas? Um, so I would say... We just have just a little bit smaller market. So we're not, we, we have to be really for sure on our prices. Uh, I would say, you know, you're, you're slim to none selling a bunch of private treaty $10,000 cows as you are, you know, selling some 2,500 to 5,000 cows in my area. And that's just making sure, you know, that you're, it's, I guess I should say, uh, I guess no and yes. I mean, we're trying to utilize seller right now as 
a marketing ability to help the breed grow in general in our area to be able to give, you know, just breeders in our area and an affiliate slash association that they can be a part of that gives them updates, that gives them pictures that even, you know, maybe even we'll host a, uh, some field days throughout the year where we can just all get together, you know, and just network and uh, fellowship, you know, the breed that we love for these cows. And um, uh, so I would probably have to say with that, uh, just, just, just probably just slim to none marketing differences. It's just more so we have less people we're selling to over here versus I'm selling to across the States. So just making sure it's worth that in its while. You've also taken it upon yourself though, to start some really key events for that in that part of the country. Um, Tell our listeners a little bit about your uh, sale that you're going to have this year, but then also your fraturity that you've had for the past few years. Yep. So we, uh, so we have all intentions on hosting a 15 to 20, um, we're going to call it quality heifer sale. And, um, with our goal for this is we want to basically put a lineup of good, substantial stand heifers, uh, in, in our area, in our, in our market, uh, area, in front of as many people who are going to come to our area as we can. And we want to then hopefully just get a ball rolling. Um, I'm and with this sale and fraturity, we're not trying to recreate no ball or wheel. We just simply want to keep it rolling. And so with that, we, we're going to try and start out small and just do a, a quality heifer sale. And, and with that, we, we are uh, plan to have some breeders and have already talked to some breeders um, who are going to consign some and we're just going to keep it slim and basically just keep the fun of the fraturity, the main goal, as well as adding the sale for just a little bit of extra fun. Um, we, we had a lot of interest this year and people wanting to buy animals. So that's why we think it's come time to add a sale because it's now our second successful year of um, hosting a fraturity. Uh, our first year was amazing. So much fun. We learned so much. And um, then the second year we doubled our animals and we sped up our fraturity as well as kept just everything right. We just wanted to make sure that that fraturity is, you know, about that animal and what is it to keep safety in the, you know, the, the mood of that animal, you know, the main goal. And uh, we just wanted to, to create just an event for people to come, you know, in our area to come that they didn't want to travel eight, 10 hours, you know, to go to their closest event. Um, so that's kind of our main goal was to help just build this breed up, give uh, an actual place for people in our area to go to, to network and meet other breeders as well as show theirs off. Because that's what we really love to do. We really love to show our animals that we've got to other people. And to me, the fraturity is the best way to do it. You go to these fraturities, you pay 130 bucks to put your animal in there. And guess what? All those breeders that are there to watch their animal go through are also watching yours go through there as well. And it just, you really can learn so much off of these fraturities and, and what they got to hold for you. Um, and so that's my goal is to keep the futurity there for people to build their herd and to understand 
and learn what it takes to get these animals to show quality and then what it takes to get them to sell quality. And so with that, we hope this year of adding the sale, we then create a market, get people just more excited, get the excitement here in our area about people coming and buying these Longhorn cows and starting this Longhorn sale in the state of Georgia. Like what in the world? Texas Longhorns in the state of Georgia? That don't make no sense, does it? You know, it just it don't. But we want to get people excited and we want we want them to come join us, you know, and, and that's what we we want to have the feeling of it all being open. You know, everybody's welcome. Everybody can join. You know, there's no no invitations, no nothing. Anybody can come buy an animal. Anybody can come and show their animal um, through, you know, the rules and regulations of the event. But other than that, that's that's why I would say our events, therefore, is just to help grow and build our market in our area. Go ahead and share the name of the sale and futurity, the date and the location, if you would, just so everyone listening can yep. mark it on their calendar. So this year um, it will be November 1st and 2nd of 2024. It'll be the Peach State Show Out and Quality Heifer Sale. Um, and uh, we're going to be getting some information. We've been talking with y'all and going to get some more information out there come probably February, March, and let some people come uh, get their interest in and build their calendars up, uh, hopefully. Um, you know, and let, let, man, I'd love to pack that barn there. We're, we're blessed with a great facility there. Um, we have plenty of room to grow and plenty of room to, you know, just do whatever we need to do in this facility. And it just, I just hope it just rockets off. I, I just really love to see it rocket off and, and see the animals in our area. Just would love to drive around and see more longhorns out in the pasture than I would black cows or, you know, just commercial cows. Um, and hoping that that's where this then takes us. But uh, yeah, the come see us peach state show out sale and or peach state futurity and quality heifer sale is, is this year november 1st and 2nd um of 2024 uh we'll we'll have cattle arriving you know wednesday before give them you know about four days to settle in and you know get to looking right and you know just go on and having some fun and we plan to do a dinner again this year uh host a dinner for everybody to have and just sit down and my biggest thing that i think is networking at these maturities is where you build the best relationships. So if putting a meal in front of everybody and having them sit at a table, uh, you know, just keeps them around that much longer than, Hey, it's worth it to me because it gave them that much more time to have an opportunity to talk and get to know one of each other. And maybe, you know, then work out a, a networking thing where, man, they could just build off of each other or they, you know, just make it where it, it's a positive area for anybody to go and want to learn about the Longhorns. Well, and for anyone that maybe can't find um, or doesn't remember the name of the sale, they can also visit your website, which is rollinghillsranchlonghorns.com, um, where I'm sure you're going to put some of the, the forms and information there as well as it comes out. Yep. Yep. We're going to do our best to get some information uh, out through the trails this year, as well as we're going to just blast social media. Um, like we've been doing, hopefully on getting, getting in the word out there and, um, you know, doing this podcast, hopefully uh, I look at this podcast to be beneficial to as well for the program that we're trying to do. So, um, yeah, hope, just stay, stay, uh, stay looking out and man, it's going to hopefully be a big old, just peach, you know, you, sh you see a big peach on your Facebook, just know that's me. 
<laughs> that's what I like it to be a big peach with longhorns. That's us. <laughs> we we love the peaches over here. Well, thanks for joining me today. Is there anything else before we sign off that you want to share with our listeners about your breeding program or your event? Uh, just anything we didn't cover? I would have to say, you know, anybody out there listening who's looking for some help or looking, you know, needing, you know, please reach out to me. I'd love to help them or, you know, give them some any advice that I've got or I've learned, you know, I, I'm willing to talk and I don't want no money. I don't want to sell, you no cows. I will probably not sell, you no cows. I'll probably say, hey, you know, we'll find you one that fits you great versus me trying to sell you an animal. And I then think that helps them learn to then know what to look for versus them coming to you to buy. Cause sometimes you can buy something that somebody tells you to buy and you're just lost and don't know. But any, but going aside of that, I mean, if you, there's anyone out there that needs some help or, Hey, I've got five bulls. If anybody would love to use a bull, I'm sure we can find a bull that'll fit you for 90 days or so. If you want to, if you didn't want to buy one, um, I, I love working with other breeders. I love talking to other breeders. So I'm open. I'm always, a phone call away. So if anybody would love to reach out, I'm here. I'm here to reach out. Well, thank you so much. I know I really enjoyed hearing your stories and, and learning from you today. So I'm sure there'll be some breeders out there who take you up on that. Yeah, well, I sure do hope so. And I really do appreciate uh, allow, uh, allowing me to do the podcast with you. It's been a wonderful time. <laughs>